how people are engaging and how God's working in our church uh, to bring more and more stories uh, of what God wants to do and people seeing Jesus and really begin, beginning to be able to see Jesus on their street, uh, in, their, uh, in the hearts around them, and, and I'm excited about that. I do want to have a couple people show, come up here. I want Scott Battleminty and Christina Bradford, who was just up here, to come back up here. And, um, and uh, these guys are fantastic. I uh, remember I, we've kind of been wanting to share some stories over the last, uh, last couple weeks, and we'll do this up until uh, Vision Sunday. And uh, I, I just think it's important for us to understand, because I could stand up here and tell you, hey, this is great, and this is going well, and this is happening, and this thing is going good. But uh, the truth is, unless you hear it from people, you could kind of just think I'm, I'm being a hype man and telling you things that aren't true. In fact, I got a text last night from somebody, Meredith and I did, that was talking about three different things that just around the table last night, uh, three different things that happened that they were really excited about. And then I was talking to uh, someone this morning about the, the, something they were at last night and this mix of, you know, how many of you have your church friends and, and your work friends, Right. And, you, and then you got your, like, I don't know, other friends, real friends. <laughs> and uh, that's a little bit hurtful. Um, but I, 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 I just want to be a church that doesn't really separate those two. Right? Like, if you, if you got a party, you don't go, oh, who am I inviting this time? Right? That you just, that they all kind of, they're all friends. And, and in fact, the best way we can reach our streets and hearts is that we invite everyone to the table. Isn't that what Jesus did? Uh, Jesus tended to have a, a pretty mixed crowd. And I want to make sure that we have a mixed crowd. So I'm, I'm just excited about some of the things that I'm hearing. And, and again, because I think our greatest successes as a church will not necessarily be Sunday mornings. I think our greatest success and successes as a church will be what comes out of Sunday morning. And I think for so many years, we, we as a church have made this the only thing that makes a difference. And I want to make sure that we're a church that can celebrate stories that are happening throughout the week. But I do want to hear from two amazing people, part of our church. And uh, uh, Scott's been around for a bit. Christina as well. Christina left for a couple years to go to uh, C3 College in Sydney and has come back and is now part of the family. And uh, so I just wanted them to share briefly, and, and probably in the near future you'll hear a bit more extended versions of these stories, but uh, I wanted them to share because I think the more thankful we are for what God is doing, uh, the more we're open to continue to give. Amen? Uh, I find the more thankful and more, great, uh, more gratitude I have, the more gracious I am. Right? And so the Thanksgiving keeps me giving, keeps me fruitful, it keeps me... Uh, praising and honoring and loving and encouraging. So um, we'll just start because you have the mic and ladies first, right? Uh, Christina, just share, yeah, your experience, C3 probably, but C3 Fort Worth and kind of what this last 18 months has looked like for you here as part of this family. Yeah, perfect. So I found C3 being a part of C3 Fort Worth, and that led me, like Pastor Brandon said, to study for two years in Australia yeah. um, at C3 College. And like a lot of your stories, C3 just felt like home as soon as I walked through. At the time, it was C3 DFW. Yeah. Um, it just felt like home. And um, I will touch a little bit just on my journey in Australia because that's a big part of uh, yeah. my experience with C3. Um, but I was on a journey to experience more of who God was and yeah. how I played into that. I grew up in church, but I just always wanted to know more. And C3 has been that for me. Yeah. So I have been challenged and stretched in ways that I asked for. And who knows that once you ask God to do something, he does it. Yeah. Um, many tears, many questions. And um, 
yeah, he opened so many doors and broke so many boundaries of what society had told me what um, church or God should look like yeah, or yeah. even what my peers said that it should look like or even what myself said that yeah. it could or should look like. And that's basically um, the biggest thing that I've journeyed through with being in C3 is just experiencing everything that I can of who God is and pushing out of those boundaries. And um, with that said, like the worshiper that you see on stage um, some Sundays, that's not the same worshiper that left uh, three years ago. And that's because of C3 and um, the C3 family. Yeah, and you have, and that's the thing. I mean, and you would say this, that that you do have to go through these things. When you want God to do more in your life, there's things that sometimes it's not about him adding more to you. It's about him removing some things from you. And that there's sometimes this, it's just this ability to be broken in God's presence and in who he is that you might actually begin to to break through. And uh, which is not always, again, like she said, when you ask God to do something and then he does it and then you're frustrated because he did it a way that you didn't think was going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? And when we resist those things, we don't actually see the fullness of what he wants to do in our lives. And, uh, and I, I love, even in the last several months, you've had some, like, Leadership Weekend was big for you. And some of those, just these moments where God is continuing to move you into these next things. And, and, and I'm really excited about it. I think it's awesome. Give it up for Christina. And Scott. Hey guys. Scott and I had lunch the other day. We did. It was good. Uh, it was really fantastic. Good. And uh, and he's been on quite the journey. And uh, yeah. I, yeah, I'll let you share. But um, it's oh, it was a good lunch. So my journey um, to kind of tie in what probably you're going to talk about today is one of getting up off the mat. Um, yeah. Three years ago, six months and thirteen days ago, I lost my twin brother. Um, and in loss, loss is difficult for everyone. Um, but for a twin, when I was born, two minutes later, there was my brother. Yeah. My identity is always tied to his. Yeah. And so when he passed away, I lost part of my identity. Mm. And so for that amount of time, I was struggling. When, when he passed, my first question, I was raised Catholic. My first question was, is he all right? Has, has he made it? Is, is he good? Because... That is always, I'm always going to protect my brother just like he was always going to protect me. And a few months later, um, Gabe Andahar comes to me with this, you could just tell his, his voice is wobbling, he's worried, he's scared. He goes, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, let's talk. We go to lunch, and he goes, I had a dream about your brother. Um, he was standing over Tony's crib, and he turned and smiled. And to him, it was just a story. To him, it was just a dream. But to me, it was a, it was God saying, I got him. It's good. He's, and on top of that, I'm putting him in the best place he can be. He's going to watch over your son, you know. Um, and then continued my journey. I still was fighting. I was still asking questions like, why God? Why, why this path? Um, hmm. It didn't become clear to me why I kept asking this, even though it's common for people to say that after loss, until I was watching a pod, or listening to a podcast with Kyle uh, Richardson on a drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, we, were, we were listening to a business podcast about trust and transparency and how they are mutually exclusive. You cannot have transparency and have trust. Um, if you think about a relationship, um, 
is, do you think of a good relationship as one where one of the per- persons in the relationship is always asking, where have you been? What have you been doing? Who, who are you with? Who is that person? Or do you think of it as just somebody who believes in the other person, that has trust in the other person? Mm. And as Christians, especially after loss, you, you automatically, when, when you lose something like that, you lose trust, and in that void, trans, you, you look for transparency. And so I was constantly wow. looking for trust or transparency. And that's not really how God works, as we all know. Um, fast forward to the men's retreat. I, um, I, I felt like I wasn't hearing God. I, I felt like whispers weren't coming into my ear. I, wasn't, I was more uh, a boat without a rudder. And I, I went into the men's retreat, and I did something that you're not supposed to do as a Christian, but I drew a line in the sand. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to go full bore into this. I will give you everything for this weekend. But if I don't hear from you by the end of this weekend, we're done. We're done. I, I was at that point in my relationship with God. I, I felt like I was the sheep that had just been wandering. Yeah. So for the, the first day, we had a lot of fun, a lot of great time. We prayed into it. I prayed as hard as I could with every ounce of my beating, being. And then the second day, we got up. We had a lot more fun. Canoe races. It was, it was awesome. And I prayed into it every time we prayed. And we got to the last prayer session. And I, and I sat down, and, and Brandon was talking about something, and I apologized. I wasn't listening. That's all I was, good. It's all I was good. I'm used to talking. it. I'm used to it. I was talking with God, and I was saying, okay, God, you don't have a lot of time here. Like, I, there's a ticking clock. That's it. The shot clock is down, you know. You got to put up the shot. And I'm praying in and praying in, and out of nowhere, Big John comes walking over and puts his hand around me. John has no idea what's going on in my life. At this point in our relationship, we talk about Texas A&M football. Yegum? That's all. That's all. He has no idea. And he whispers into me and he says, God knows what you're going through. He hears you. Wow. We've got to be the men in this church to lead that. And he starts praying into me. And I am bawling, losing my mind. Wow. Because if it would have been anybody else, my... My brother-in-law, Chris Coker, Kyle, people that I work with that I love, that I trust, I wouldn't have believed him because they know what I'm going through. Mm. But John had no idea. And it poured into me. It poured in, and it allowed me to get up off the mat. It allowed me wow. to go, okay. You know, and then because, because the clouds cleared, I was able to look back and see things that God was doing in my life that I couldn't see. The day of when Alan passed away and a few days before, Kyle Richardson sat there every single day. Every day he sat there. He didn't ask for questions. He didn't try to throw scripture at me. He was there for me. And I didn't see it. I was looking elsewhere for people to save me. Wow. God was putting in me in that, up until that men's retreat, which is funny because the men's retreat was all about brotherhood. And I was looking for someone to fill that void. And I know no one else will ever fill that void, but this church has given me so many more brothers to add on, whether wow. it's long-lasting people like Kyle and Chris and John and Gabe and Shane and Connor and Brandon, Brandon and thanks. Bryce. Appreciate that. Yeah. I can't put you at the top, you know. But, but just recently, right next door, God goes, guess what? I'm going to put somebody right next door and showed me a brother in Dave and Tuntgate. Yeah, if you haven't on. met him, he's an amazing man. Yeah. So... If you're waiting on a miracle, just understand that you can't see the forest through the trees, okay? 
And I'm, I want to leave one more thing with you, and it's a story I like with Brandon. It's from West Wing, if anybody listens. Um, there's a man that falls into a hole, and he, and he sees a doctor walk by, and he cries out, and he says, Doc, I'm in this hole. Can you help me? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it in and walks off. Next, a Catholic priest walks by and says, Pastor, Father, I'm in this hole. I need your help out. And the father writes scripture and throws it in the hole and walks off. And then the guy sitting in the hole sees his best friend walking by and says, Tom, I'm in this hole. I need your help. Tom jumps in the hole. And the guy in the hole goes, what are you doing? Now we're both in the hole. Tom goes, yeah, I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. Let me show you the way out. And that, that's what this church wow. is. I'm telling yeah, you that good. story because that's what this church is. Come on. There's men and women in this church that if you're going through something, they're willing to dive in the hole with you. That's what my journey's been about Come on. and continues to journey. Yeah. Come on. Hey. Give it up for these guys. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that something to be thankful for? You guys grab a seat. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Scott. So good. And uh, I really, I've loved, you know, I, I got to hang out with him and have lunch. And, and uh, I, I just, I've loved kind of hearing that story. I hadn't gotten to hear all of those things. And, uh, and I've loved watching Christina. I love when Christina leads worship. Um, there's just a, uh, a clearly, over the last several years, uh, a confidence that's been born in her that um, she don't care what you think. Uh, she's going to worship no matter what. And, uh, and I love that. And I think we could all benefit from that. Amen? All right, Mark chapter 2. So how many of you know those are the kind of stories and the stories we shared last week and the week before, and we're going to share some more next week, and we'll share some more on Vision Sunday, and then one of the big things, and I kind of want to hold back on some of this, but one of the, the big things we want to make sure of is that you're empowered and equipped to share your story. And one of the things we have talked a lot about over these last couple weeks is that uh, sometimes we tend to zoom out of our situation and look at all the things that have not yet figured themselves out, and rather than zoom in on the one or two things that have. And so we will look at, and, and, and we do this in the sense that we, re, we will read a story like this about the paralyzed man who gets healed, and we will start to think that everything has been sorted out just because he was healed, as though everything was fixed. Because he was healed, it's all good now. But the reality is, is that because he was healed, he can now go fix all the things that still need to be fixed. And so if you zoom in on the fact that he carried his mat out of the house, that was purposeful, intentional. Uh, I think there's a reason Jesus said that. Jesus knew he'd never need the mat again, but he told him to take it anyways. It's not like Jesus was doubting whether or not his healing was good. I hope he makes it further than a block and then has to lay back down again. And Jesus knew. And I can look around the room and I can share stories of people like what you just heard uh, from these guys. And God is still working. And God is still up to some things. And God is still, even though he's uh, sorted out one thing, is still working on some other things. And God is still at work in the lives of people. And I can look around the room and see stories of people who've found a home and found a place and, and are starting to get more involved. And, they're start, and it takes a second, doesn't it? Coming into a new place and really kind of deciding if this is going to be friends and we're going to hang out or if this is just going to be a great Sunday thing to do. And I'm, I'm finding that more and more as, we, as you engage and as you lean in, uh, God begins to do some things. And, and as we head towards Vision Sunday, December 2nd, we are going to, Vision Sunday has a purpose to it. Because as we say where we're going, we're also going to ask that all of us participate in that. And so we'll ask that you commit to prayer, you commit to give, and you commit to serve. And there will be reasons for that, but it, it's, those three things are really what we want you to be praying about. 
over these next couple weeks through Thanksgiving, the week after Thanksgiving, as we lead up to December 2nd, uh, we, we want you to be praying about three primary things. What, how are you going to pray into it? How are you going to give into it of your resources? And how are you going to serve? Because I believe if, if this vision ra- really matters to you and to us, that we would invest our lives in it. Amen? And, uh, and so I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you to be praying about that now. Uh, that you're not just waiting till the day of, but that even now that you're asking God, what, what, can, I, what can I sow into this in prayer? We'll start with 21 days of prayer in January. Uh, maybe you jump into next steps. Maybe you know what you're going to give financially towards uh, the vision. And you'll hear obviously more about that as we get close to December 2nd. So go to Mark chapter 2. Again, we've been in this for uh, several weeks And uh, every time I end up in a place in my Bible for several weeks, the page comes out, and I just ripped a page out. And uh, in fact, a couple weeks ago, uh, Rebecca asked to borrow my Bible for... Uh, to host that morning because she wanted a new living, and, and the one scripture she needed was from Colossians. Remember we did a series on Colossians? Um, well, that page was not existing in my Bible, so um, she made it work. But Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read it again just because I, I just I love the story and it matters uh, to us, to me. And, and I'm just going to hit a few things. We're going to pray and uh, all go, go to lunch together. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Again, even outside the door is a key statement. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they, they is uh, the most important word in this scripture, okay? And I don't mean that because Jesus isn't important, and I don't mean that because the healing wasn't important and the forgiveness wasn't important, but they is mentioned more than any other word in this story because it is they that makes the other things happen, If there is no they, there is no healing. If there is no they, there is no roof dug, uh, there's no hole dug in a roof. If there is no they, there's no paralyzed man lowered in front of Jesus. If there is no they, there's no praising excitement about what God had done. They matter. And whoever you attach yourself to, whoever the they is in your life, it's incredibly powerful and important. You want they's who will carry you. Now, there's, there's part of me that just believes that there's probably a moment in this journey where the paralyzed man said, just forget it. You don't have to take me there. I'm sure there's moments even in uh, uh, Scott's story where he was like, forget it. I'm, I'm just done. I don't, you don't invite me to the, the men's advance ever again. I don't want to go. And that was just this past April. We, we just, we're starting to plan the next year. We'll have another one of those next year. I encourage all of you fellows to be there. But, it, but, but, but you need people who will carry you even when you don't want to be carried, who will hand you a Snickers when you're acting weird. <laughs> right? You need, you need somebody. You need people. If you have not had a friend challenge you on your attitude or your perspective or your thought life lately, you need better friends. I truly believe that. If I haven't had a friend confront me about a particular opinion or thought or idea, then I have not given my friends any latitude in my life to do any good for me. Or I don't have friends who think highly enough of my life to do anything for me. So I want you to think about the they in your life. Don't get mad when somebody goes, no, 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 you can act better. Because they believe in you. 
That's an investment. Now, I understand if they don't have any tact about it and they, aren't, they don't have any discernment about how to do that, and maybe you need to go back to them and go, I appreciate the thought. I just wish you would say it better. Anybody know that person? They just say it. It just comes out of their mouth. And while I appreciate it, I wish you would do it differently, right? Give me some ice cream when you do it. Something, <laughs> you know. So they dug a hole in the roof. Then they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, man, just think about that. Seeing your faith, someone else can be healed. Seeing your faith, someone else can be forgiven. That messes with my theology a little bit. But just like with the prostitute who came and washed Jesus' feet, nothing was said, nothing was confessed of, but there's absolutely an act of surrender. So this, this paralyzed man who'd been lowered, you know, down on the mat, remember MacGyvered, MacGyvered down onto the, the floor in front of Jesus. Uh, this was an act of surrender. And that's what our lives are given to Jesus. It's really not about the words we say when we do it. It's about what we do when we do it. Do we surrender our life to Jesus fully? So said, my child, your sins are forgiven. Again, not necessarily the thing they were aiming for. Your sins are forgiven. But this is what's important about Jesus. It's important for you and I to understand this about Jesus and understand this about God our Father, that he is much more concerned about your heart than your hand. He is much more concerned about who you are on the inside than who you are on the outside because he knows he's got you for eternity. So all the outward stuff will, will work themselves out in time. But what he is most concerned about, what, what needs to happen on the inside, your eternal state, your soul, your spirit, and who you are inwardly. How many of you know you got some things you're dealing with physically and you just have the sneaking suspicion that maybe some of it has come out of the way you've thought about life recently? I'm not, I'm not connecting the way the Pharisees did, sickness to sin. They love to do that. I don't think that's true, and Jesus didn't either. But there's absolutely, absolutely the leading cause of sickness and death right now around the world is depression. It's not some outward thing. It's some inward thing where people have, have begun to lose certain things. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily all just a spiritual battle, but I would tell you that there's definitely an aspect of that. And so here's this man being lowered, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, the, the word there, if you were to read the Amplified translation of this verse where it says, your sins are forgiven, child. And I love that he says child or son. In every translation, you'll see that word of family in, in there. I, I love that. I love that Jesus addressed him as son or child before he forgave them. I love the way Jesus attaches identity to people. I love that he speaks identity, not just future, not just, but who you are. Paul said his mission was to make sure that you are fully mature in your identity or fully mature in Christ. And so Jesus sees this man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you read it in the Amplified, it says that you have been made upright or been put in right standing. I just think that's interesting considering the rest of the story. That Jesus says to him, hey, you are forgiven. And what the word there in the Amplified Translation, and there's a lot of depth to this word, and we're not necessarily getting into the meaning of forgiveness. Uh, I think we all have a general idea of what this is. But, but, at the, but at the heart of it, he's saying you've been put in right standing. There's nothing I see on you or in you that keeps you from being the full you. 
I no longer hold against you this thing or that thing or that deal or this. I've forgiven you. I've put you in fullness and right standing with me. I see you as the perfect version of yourself. I see you as the ideal. I see you as everything you want to be. I've forgiven you. I've put you in right standing with me. I have nothing against you. Now, this would have been a big statement for this man to hear because all his life, most likely, he would have believed this idea or at least been told the idea that you're sick and you're messed up because of something you have done or someone in your past has done. And so your sin has led to your sickness. It is your fault that you are in the circumstance you are in. What if we are a church that stops judging people's condition and somehow making that the, 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 the measure of the content of their potential. That, there's somehow, that somehow who they are inside is directly reflected in what's going on outside. And so we can obviously judge them because we know this wouldn't be happening if they were just better people on the inside. And we've allowed the, the condition of their world to become the measurement for the content of their life. For who they are. For what God's called them, for what God's created them to be, for what God's made them to be, for the, the potential God's put in their life, for the future that he's put in their life. Let's be a church that doesn't judge the condition of their world. Let us not look at the things they're going through as some, somehow a reflection of who they are as people. I know we say see Jesus on every street and every heart. Maybe let's just begin to see Jesus in people. Let's see the price he paid for them. Let's see the things he's done for them. Amen? So he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, we give the Pharisees a hard time, and, but the teachers of religious law who were sitting around thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, they're actually not wrong. They're absolutely correct. Only God can forgive sins. They just didn't think Jesus was him. And maybe for us, some of us today in this room, we got two people to worry about with this phrase. Only God can forgive sins. And maybe for some of us, the big challenge has been that we've tried to forgive ourselves. We've tried to be the source of our own forgiveness. But you can't forgive your sin. Only God can. Now, I know that some like, well, now that, that, that takes some things out of my control. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that. Because if you try to forgive yourself, tomorrow you're going to be mad at yourself, and then the next day you might forgive yourself, and then the next day you might be mad at yourself, and then the next day you might forgive yourself, and then the next day you might be mad at yourself again. But God, only God can forgive you. So this isn't really about how strong your willpower is in forgiving yourself. It's really about whether or not you will receive the forgiveness God has already made available to you. The other person you have to worry about this is... is, your forgiveness of other people. Are we willing to let God be the only one who can forgive others? In other words, are we also willing to let God be the only one who can hold things against others? Because for many of us, we, we've, got, we've, we've decided we're the ones who get to decide if they are forgiven or not forgiven. We've decided whether or not we're going to forgive them based upon our own righteousness or based upon our own offense or based upon our own hurt or pain. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not trying to make this simplistic. I am trying to tell you, though, if, if, if we have current offenses that we cannot forgive, then we have limited our future potential. 
There's absolutely no doubt that if you hold particular things against particular people or particular things, then, then you have limited your ability to lean into the next thing God has for you. Because you have reserved a certain part of your life for something he's already paid for. He's already bought that forgiveness. He's already bought that grace. He's already bought that. He's purchased that person that you don't like so much at a price. The same way he purchased you. And so forgiveness is really, I know God, listen, I'm not telling you that you don't forgive. I'm telling you, you don't do it just out of your own power and will. You do it out of the grace of God for you. So we freely give as we have what? Been freely given to. And so if I understand how freely I've been given the forgiveness of God and the grace of God towards my life, then the more freely I will give that away. And so many times we, we so try, so try to, to forgive ourselves, and we will forgive, and we will work it out. But there's a point where it, it has to come from God alone, where God goes, I've forgiven you. I've given you grace in the midst of your doubts. I've given you grace in the midst of your frustrations. I've given you grace in the midst of your sin and your struggle. I've given you grace, and you need to take that same grace that I've given you and let it come out of your life into the lives of others. But for some of us, we have decided we are the only ones who can forgive us, too. For some of us, there are things in our lives that we will not let go. And not against other people, but against ourselves. Decisions we've made, things we've done, thoughts we've had. And we, we've, we've actually held those, we've held them too close and we've held them too tightly. And, and, and it's really, the truth be told, it's really not our right to do that. God is the only one who can forgive sin. God's the only one who can forgive so I put myself in front of Jesus. That's my only job, to put myself in front of Jesus and say, I surrender everything to you. And he forgives, and he puts you in right standing, and he makes you upright, and he gives you his righteousness, and he gives you who he is. Okay, so the rest of this story, you guys good? Everybody good? He says, I forgive you, and the, the Pharisees get frustrated they say, you can't forgive, you can't do this, only God can do that. So Jesus begins to prove to him uh, that he can do it. Uh, so Jesus has kind of set them up. Jesus didn't say, I forgive you, just because he wanted to say something nice. He said it because he knew it would lead to the question of, well, only God can do that. So then Jesus goes, okay, so let me prove something to you. I'm going to prove it to you that I can forgive sin by healing sickness. Now, he's not affirming the idea or confirming the idea that you, uh, that you are somehow sick because you're sinful. He's not necessarily doing that. Uh, what he is trying to do is set these religious law teachers up for this next part. He's also not saying that just because he's taking care of your, uh, your sin that you're always going to be healed of your sickness. That's not necessarily something he's saying here. We're going to pray for that. We're going to believe for that. But, but, but there are other people who are sick around this paralyzed man that maybe don't necessarily get healed in this moment. Again, that's why he's prioritizing something eternal over something temporal, right? And so here he is talking about sin, and then he goes into what, isn't it easier just to say, isn't it easier just to say your sins are forgiven than to actually say get up and walk? Which how many of you would agree that's probably easier to do? It's a pretty transparent moment for the paralyzed man to be sitting in front of Jesus, to be sitting there hoping that this all goes well. It's kind of a big moment for Jesus as well, because if he doesn't get up and walk, uh, then maybe things don't look so good. And so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I think it's important, in fact, uh, uh, Rebecca just mentioned this a moment ago, uh, about the way we walk. This is a faith walk. Jesus asked the question, he says, is it easier for me to just simply say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier for me to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? In other words, I believe this, and this is what I believe about our church as we move forward in our vision, as we move forward in the desire to see Jesus on every street and every heart, in our hopes to see this city transformed. My desire is that we would not just know that we are forgiven, but that in that forgiveness we would understand it should change the way we walk. That something happens on the inside of us, and so we react differently to different things. We, we react differently to certain scenarios that, that before we would have reacted a certain way, but now, because we're different, because something has happened inwardly, something has been forgiven, something has been set free, something has been loosed, and all of a sudden, now I can walk this thing out differently. And so Jesus looks at the man and says, hey, I want you to get up, pick up your mat, and go Home. I love that he actually doesn't say what he said he was going to say, which was walk. He actually says, go home. Now, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but it is an important part of your healing. Going back home matters because Jesus didn't just heal you for your healing. He healed you so that when you go back home, somebody looks at you and goes, oh, that's different. Oh, that's, that's, that's different. See, I think we should live differently so that we can prove that God actually gave us life. I'm not, again, I'm not telling you everything's going to be simple or easy or simplistic. I am trying to tell you, though, that because I've been forgiven and then God has healed me, I should walk out of this place differently. I love that Jesus doesn't just say to the man, get up. Now what? No, he, just, he says, get up. And then he gives him a couple instructions. Pick up your mat, which is an interesting statement. Either Jesus didn't like a dirty floor, or Jesus thought that the mat had a purpose. Jesus believed that there was a purpose in him carrying his mat out of the house. And then he says, go home. Three pretty important things here. Three pretty powerful things. I want to just walk through these three things because this is what I would desire for everyone in our church. This is what my desire would be for uh, the church that we're building, the church that God is moving in us. Not just, again, not just a Sunday morning thing, but, but throughout the week and through our dinner parties and, and through other things, that, that, that God would do a few different things in our lives. But that we would know that we are forgiven. And, and I would pray that our posture towards this city is, you are forgiven. I would pray that our posture as C3 Fort Worth would be to look at every street and every heart and say, you are forgiven. That we would be a people that look at our friends and look at our family members and look at our street and look at our coworkers and look at our barista and look at the, the bank clerk and look at the person serving me food and, look, and go, you, man, whatever you think you're carrying, Whatever you think puts you at wrong standing, whatever you think puts you in the negative, whatever you think doesn't allow you to walk upright, I just want you to understand, Jesus forgives you. Like, he loves you. He bought you at a price. 
But then after this forgiveness, that after this, that we would walk in here and go, yes, I'm forgiven. I'm going to take communion. I'm going to worship. I'm going to celebrate what God has done for me on the inside. But then from that, I would begin to walk differently, that I would, I would actually stand up. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like if I had been paralyzed for a certain amount of time and then Jesus looked at me and said, get up, that would be challenging. Like the act of faith here isn't necessarily even believing that he's forgiven, although I think Jesus was trying to make a point that there is no amount of sin that will keep you from what I want to do in your life. But he's looking at a paralyzed man, and he doesn't say, let me help you up. He doesn't say, hey, guys, could you just grab him and pick him? He looks at a paralyzed man who's just been lowered into the house and says, get up. I don't know about you, but maybe there's been some moments recently where God, it feels like God's saying, get up. And he's not saying it with attitude, and he's not trying to say it like, come on, I can't believe you haven't already done this. But he is looking at you going, hey, do you trust me? I imagine the first move for that paralyzed man to begin to move or to somehow start to get his legs in order or get himself in a place where he could stand up was something that he hadn't done in a long time. Uh, he had probably settled into the idea that he was a paralyzed man and could not do this, but, but that he was actually having to, just the, the slightest movement was an act of faith. Just the slightest movement was the decision that I trust him. And for some of you, that just, that's all you need. You just need the slightest movement. You, you don't need to figure it all out. I'm sure the paralyzed man was figuring it out as he stood. But Jesus had healed him and said, hey, get up. In fact, Jesus doesn't even, even say you're healed. He doesn't even give him a real, like, confidence. Hey, it's all going to be fixed. Go ahead and get up. He just says it. He just says get up. Sometimes we don't need to know exactly how this is all going to play out for us to be obedient in whatever he has asked us to do. And for some of us, it's just that slightest movement. For some of you, it's just showing up here today, which started with a slight movement towards hitting the snooze button. It was 50 degrees or 45 degrees or whatever it was. It's all the same at some point. That slightest movement, that act of faith that says, I'm going I'm to lean in. And then he says, pick up your mat. Again, this is going back to this idea that Christians tend to get healed of something and leave it in the background and go, well, I can't ever reference that again. I actually believe that some of the things that God has brought you through are the very things uh, that he wants to speak through your life. And I'm not trying to say that every struggle and every issue and every sin and everything that you've ever walked through needs to be in front of everyone. I am telling you there are some things in your life that you have won victory over. And just as Scott was kind of witnessing to just a moment ago, that, that hey, I've been here before and I want to make sure you get. And if we aren't honest enough and transparent enough and authentic enough with people, then we won't ever jump in the hole because we, we don't want to let them know that we've been there before. And, so, and so, so here's this guy, he says, pick up your mat. And here's why I think he said, pick up your mat. Because he wanted the mat to become the message. Yeah. See, some of us are trying to figure out, okay, so now I'm healed. Now I need to go figure out some cool things to do to make sure people know that Jesus loves them. And all. No, 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 just carry the mat. Just carry what you've been healed from. Just carry what God has done in your life. Celebrate what God has done in your life. Be thankful for what God has done in your life. Don't, don't, don't get too caught up in the things that are yet to be figured out. Just be thankful for the mat. I mean, again, honestly, if you had been paralyzed and sitting on a mat for a long time, would you have picked up the mat just be, because you thought it would be a good thing to carry? 
No. There is a purpose to the mat. There is a purpose to what God has done in your life. And if you have to say it a hundred times for your friend to finally get it, if you have to say it a thousand times so your family finally hears it, if you have to carry that thing every day of your life until somebody who needed to know that Christ has healed you so that they can find their healing, then you need to keep carrying the mat because your mat has become your message. So now it's not about whether or not I've come up with something good. It's now I'm just carrying this, and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to say anything. I, I just need to carry the thing God has set me free from. I just need to carry the thing God has healed me from. And then he says this statement. I love this statement. It's what our vision is going to center around on December 2nd is this. He says, go home. Go home. Don't stay in this house just because there were guys that would get healed by Jesus and, 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 and then they would want to stay with Jesus and Jesus would say, go. It does no good for you to just hang out here. I, I need you to go. I need you to go back home where the people know you or at least they think they do. I need you to go back home where they remember that you couldn't get around on your own. They, 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 I need you to go back home where, where people understand. And that doesn't just mean your address and your house. It means your street it means the places you went to shop. It means the places you went to eat where people think they know you. But you're a different you because you got connected with the right they. And we started walking the same direction. And we put some people in front of Jesus. And now they're walking differently because God gave them life to live. And so for some of us, as we're standing here today, the, 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 the great story of our lives is going to be when we start going back home with the things God's done in us. Carry your mat home. Carry the things God's done with you wherever you go. And allow that story to be the things people celebrate so that people can say, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen Jesus like that before. I've never heard a church like that before. I didn't know you could just get around a table and hang out before. I didn't know that was spiritual. It is. Laughter is spiritual, y'all. The, the serving is spiritual. Shaking hands is, there's something about that, that when you welcome people and show them hospitality and you love them and you hear their story, when you don't have to hear their story because you didn't ask a leading question during Bible study, but you just said, hey, how are you? Tell me about your life. And there's opportunities for you and I to let the map become the message. And you may be struggling, you may be frustrated because there's some things in your life that haven't quite been healed yet. But I bet if you look back, I bet if you took some time and you just looked at some things that have happened over the last several weeks, months, or years, you could find something. You begin to carry that thing. You begin to walk in that thing and it begins to remind you of God's goodness towards you. Even in the tough moments, even in the difficult seasons, even in the challenging times, you begin to remember that God can do something. But I would say this to you, and I, I want to really challenge you on this. Don't go seeking the healing. And I don't mean that to say don't pray for it. I'm saying go to God that he might work in your heart. Let him work in who you are inwardly. Let him begin to renew your mind. Let him begin to fill up your heart with courage. Let him begin to shape some things and remove some things and renovate the inward life that you have. And let the result, let the, let, the, let the fruit of the Spirit, let those things be the result of the forgiveness God's put in your heart and your life. So as Meredith said earlier, or she told me to say, 
There's some things maybe in the shadows, maybe some things under the surface that you, you've kind of, you, you, you've cleaned them up pretty nice and good, but we, we just don't want to be a church that leaves things to fix themselves. We want to be a church that says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, and now let's walk this thing out together. I would imagine the four men carrying the man on the mat, when he walked out the house, they ran down and walked next to him. I bet they had a party the whole way home. And we want to do life together. We want to celebrate together. We want to be a church where people walk in here and have been forgiven, but then they walk out of here celebrating what God has done. Amen? Carrying their mat because their mat's become their message. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much. For-